Welcome to episode 127 of the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie Silverman, your host. And before I tell you about this episode, I've got some very exciting news to share with you. I've just launched the Ultimate Fertility Guide, which is a brand new online directory putting all different areas of the fertility industry in one place. There's basic listings giving you details of how you can find them, but what they're going to be accompanied by is live streamed uh, videos where you will be able to ask the people behind these different companies questions. So what you need to do is get yourself to the ultimatefertilityguide.com and you can sign up for the newsletter because very soon we're going to be starting to share details of when these live Q&A sessions are going to start. And the beauty is that they'll all form our YouTube channel so you can re-watch them. And some of the people that have signed up are going to be doing a number of different sessions throughout the year. So say you missed the first time round, they will be speaking uh, again. Or if not, you can always get in touch and say you'd like to hear them again. I'll tell them and they'll arrange to do another session. So the whole point is that if you're looking for information about your fertility journey, you can find the company who might provide a product or there might be an acupuncturist or a counsellor or there might be a clinic that you're looking at and you can actually hear from them and ask them questions from the comfort of your own home. So I'm really proud of it. It's been quite a mission, but I'm there. Do go and check out the site. We're adding new people all the time. I'll be keeping you up to date on what's going on on this podcast each week. I'll be reminding you about the Ultimate Fertility Guide and giving you an update on who you can find out about for the fertility podcast guest we're going to be hearing from one of my new members of the guide there's going to be a crossover because as i find out more and more fascinating kind of companies i want to talk about them on the podcast as well as with these live videos now, I must just add, I've been at the fertility show in Manchester this weekend, and it's always really interesting to go to these types of shows to get a feel of who's there from a kind of exhibitor point of view and, and find out new people that are doing really interesting things in this world, in the fertility industry, but also speak to some people that are there to find out more and understand more. It's a pretty like crazy thing to go into an exhibition centre and then like be faced with all these companies. The general feedback was that people found it really useful and really interesting. And so if there's a show near you and you're wondering whether or not to go, all I'd say really is just make a plan. Get an idea of what it is you want to get out of it if you want to meet clinics or if you want to just understand more. There's, there's normally brilliant seminars available, especially at the facility show there are. I don't know about other shows around the world but I am going to be covering more shows so uh, watch this space I'll keep you posted and one last thing before my guest if you haven't yet please do subscribe to this podcast in iTunes and you can rate and review it as well because your comments make a huge difference in keeping this podcast going and helping other people find it so enough from me for now enjoy the episode So I'm now going to welcome Gail Sexton-Anderson to the podcast, who is the co-founder of Donor Concierge, to talk about their service, about how it came to be, and a bit about her her own background as well. Gail, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, I was just asking about whether you were a sole founder or co-founder, and you explained that you and your husband are co-founders. So he was was helping with the setup of this. Yes, mostly in the very beginning, because it, it, as he always says, I am the, the vision and the passion, and he makes sure the trains run on time. So, of course, in the very early years when I was getting started with this, and, and it was very much a passion type of business, he financially supported me. Now, actually, the you know we are doing much better 12 years in, and we actually work uh, side by side. So, so talk to me about how you came to create the Donor Concierge Service. Sure. How I started with this was my background is in psychology. 
and I had been working within agencies for um, several years. When I was talking to intended parents, I found very quickly that it was just such a difficult leap for them to go from being able to have a child that was genetically related to them, or in the case of the husband, having to let go of, of you know being having a child genetically related to their wife, that it would, would be you know a challenge for them to look through donors in a database and maybe not find anyone that they really related to, particularly um, when we have cases where someone was coming um, and had a, maybe maybe for Chinese women or women who are coming from originally from India trying to find a donor. Often the answer that they would get from either the agency I was with or any other agency would be, gosh, no, we don't have any Chinese donors or any Indian donors, but hey, we do have these nice Hispanic girls. I'm sure that's just, you know, just as what I'll go to go with them. And of course, it's not exactly the same. Um, but it was just sort of, uh, you know, they would be marginalized in terms of, of, you know, what would be a good fit for them. And there are so many factors that come into play, whether it's a difference in terms of ethnic background or just who you relate to. So I figured there has to be a better way for people to find someone um, that they can kind of feel like, I know it's not me, but I really like this person and feel comfortable to be able to move forward in something that can be kind of an Orwellian journey. Because the whole process, like you say, is so emotive when you've had to accept that your route to parenthood isn't going to be one way. However, there is this other option, but it's so foreign and there's so much to take on board. And I know it's different in the UK to the US, but the emotional side of what we're still going through to go on this journey is the same. So just talk me through how it works, because you've pieced together this journey to try and make it a relatively smooth transition for people, haven't you? Yes, very much so. And largely because, you know, I've been in this field for 20 years. I have a team of people who um, have been trained by me. You know, we've been doing this for 12 years now. But for any intended parent that's coming into this, it is a very strange thing and there's so many things I often say people don't know what they don't know Mm. and what that often means is you sort of intended parents will go into it with certain assumptions that things will be a certain way and there are just so many hills and valleys and uh, that will you know sort of uh, pitfalls that that people will run into so because we've done this um, quite a bit we can help them navigate those pitfalls you know what we do is we you know we find out from the intended parents you know sort of you know, as I often will say, what's your journey been up to this point, which is usually my journey through hell. But at any rate, mm. um, you know, we want to find out kind of, you know, where they are in this process, what's important to them. We then, knowing what's important to them, and usually having pictures of them and that sort of thing, we will search through over 80 different agencies and share with them candidates that could be possibilities for them. We try to keep them from getting committed to someone who maybe is not actually available to donate right now. And maybe the agency will say, oh, you can get on their waiting list. We try to encourage them not to do that. But basically to have sort of a a toolbox of like, how do I deal with this? Don't get your heart set on one person because things can happen where maybe she's not available. But be open to the possibility that there are a number of young women out there that could be a good donor for you. And, you know, just there, there's always going to be compromise. We just try to help them to be able to find someone that they can feel good about so that someday if their child says, oh, why did you pick the donor you picked? Because I am also hoping that they're going to be open with their children, mm. that they can say, oh, 
I liked her. She just seemed like, you know, someone we could be friends. And, and that's why I chose her, because she had a lot of good qualities. And she just seemed like a good person. And I liked her. Because we're obviously talking about people that are vulnerable in that we've talked about they're making this transition from accepting that the treatment they might have tried to have or for whatever reason they've not been able to have a child naturally and they're having to have a donor or I know there's the surrogacy side of what you do as well which we'll also talk about and that hand holding through it seems so essential and and often overlooked when people embark on trying to sort this out on their own and it's it's why obviously organizations like yourself are are so so valuable and i know that you also have your hard to find donors as well so managing those expectations must be quite full-on but i'm sure your staff are extremely highly trained but that must be quite a challenge well it is a challenge but i think that what often happens is if a couple's been going through ivf treatment to go forward with you know all of their own genetics that's a well-oiled machine you know the clinics know what to do they set up the next appointment and everything's great but when you get to the point of oh my gosh you're going to need an egg donor or a sperm donor or a surrogate then it's like oh gee if we don't have them in our database then the, the clinic themselves here's a list, you're off on your own. And for so many, it's a little bit of the deer in the headlights. Mm. So we, I often somewhat jokingly say, we're their friend for a season, but we are their support system. So they have someone that they can talk to as they're going through the process. We can send them profiles. They say, you know, give us feedback. Yes, this person seems like a good fit. Can you find out, you know, um, a little bit more? And they can just talk through things with us quite often. You know, what do you think of this? Um, obviously, we can't make the decision for them, but we can help them to think through it, much like a counselor does, just so that they don't feel like they're trying to do this in a vacuum, that they have someone that has experience that can kind of answer some of those questions or find out more um, more information if they don't feel like they have enough information to make a decision. So those are just you know a few of the things that we do along the way. So let's say they like someone uh, we don't uh, let the agency know who our clients are until they are ready to you know, actually go forward with the donor. But we can ask those questions on their behalf. The agencies tend to respond to us far more quickly. When they know us. You know, we've become friends mm. over the years. They know why we're contacting them. They tend to be very straightforward with us, so they don't have to you know, sort of do the whole you know, uh, politically correct response with us. They can sort of be quite transparent. Uh, which they may not do with intended parents. <laughs> so sure. um, so we can kind of sort some things out for them and be able to get back to the um, intended parents with um, some clear information. As we know, a lot of people keep this so to themselves. They don't even tell you know their closest families at times because there is the stigma attached to it. And so that hand-holding that you offer, it's so essential because these people are, are pretty much on their... If, if, if they are either doing it as a single parent or if they're a couple but they're not reaching out to their close family, it puts extra strain on, on their relationship, doesn't it? So at least they've got you there. Correct, correct. And it's not unusual for one parent to have very different ideas from the other parent. We also try to help them to kind of get on the same page mm. when it comes to their you know, perspective as to you know who they like. Because I had a really interesting conversation with a couple that were were looking to use a sperm donor, and um, the 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 woman talked about how it, you know it was a bit like a dating site. And I know it's different in the UK to what access you have to donors. Um, but she was talking about how she was kind of looking for what 
I suppose, was the perfect sperm donor, but she had her perfect sperm donor in her husband, but right. he just getting over that. And then he talked about how ultimately in the end, he just had to purchase it, click the buy. He he, he paid, sorted out the payment um, and how he had to do it in a really mundane way at work to take away actually what was going on with it. And I think the way that people have to go through these different steps has to really be taken into account, doesn't it? It, it does, because, you know, similarly, I've, I've had women, you know, when their husbands are saying, I want someone, and they have their, you know, big ideas as to what the, the perfect donor would be, you know, the perfect woman. And sometimes I've heard the women say, I don't have a perfect SAT score. I'm not, I'm not that tall. I, you know. yeah. so, so sometimes there is that perspective of, well, if I can't have, you know, the person I love or I can't have myself, Let's do the, you know, 2.0. Yeah. And when it comes to a a perfect match or people being concerned that you might not find someone for them, how do you deal with those concerns? Um, And that's a very common question. Mm. What I can tell them is that because we have access to really all of the agencies that are, you know, have integrity, that, you know, do a good job, that really are, you know, work well with intended parents, because there are some that we don't work with because we have had maybe our intended parents have had negative experiences or we have found them to not really have, you know, the integrity that we would like to see. So when we're looking, I can tell you that donor databases don't change dramatically in even a six-month or sometimes even a 12-month period. Of course, new donors are always going to be coming in, and so there will always be new candidates. But those that meet some of the very specific criteria that any one individual is looking for, because, you know, not to be corny, but we are all very unique. And so and so are these young women. They're all quite unique, too. But it's not like when we do a search a week later, there's going to be a flood of young women that are suddenly going to meet any one specific criteria. So once we have gone through all of the databases that we work with, which takes roughly about two weeks to go through all of them, you really do know, you know, you've done your due diligence. You know who's out there. So you are making a decision based on who out there is as close as possible to the desired criteria that you know, they've been looking for. Um, sometimes, it doesn't mean they always will make a decision, but mm. um, I would say that um, sometimes if they can't choose at that point, often it can be that they're not quite ready because it is a big emotional leap and pulling the trigger and making a decision. Um, on the donor that you choose because there is no room mm. for buyer's remorse. So you can't say, oops, mm. now that I've you know created all these embryos and they're about to do a transfer, I don't want to do it. Well, you can do it, but you know, so once you get that child, you can't return them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so it is something where it's a big and sometimes scary decision to make, but that's also why I really stress if I need someone that you can relate to that you like um, because then you're more likely to feel comfortable with the decision you're making. And I touched on before about the um, hard to find egg donors. What kind of categories are we talking? It, it depends on what the person is looking for, because almost anyone can be a hard to find donor. Right. But I would say that categories such as, you know, some finding a Chinese donor, Indian donor, Jewish, Middle Eastern. We've had a few people looking for Greek or Ethiopians or Eritrean. So there's many, many different categories. Often ethnic would be sometimes for some of our clients who are, you know, maybe highly educated and their whole family, that's sort of been a big push in their family. That could be what they're looking for, someone who they can relate to because they show that spark, that that they are, you know, have that drive and spark of intelligence that they're ideally hoping to find. I think most young women who are choosing to be donors are 
are reasonably intelligent, and so mm. you're not going to be, uh, you know, at risk for having a child that you're like, oh my gosh, they can't find their way out of a paper bag or something like that, sure. you know. But it's more a case of who they relate to. It's sort of people are always looking for what we, you know, call their tribe. You know, and their tribe could be different things. Could mm. be having to do with who they relate to um, in terms of their ethnic heritage. It could be who they relate to in terms of their look. Or it could be, you know, a variety of other things that they find to be important to them. Religion sometimes. You're obviously in, in the US and are people predominantly using your services that are also based in the United States or do you work internationally? We work internationally. We work with many people coming from um, a variety of countries including the UK. <laughs> well, a friend of mine who has had a little baby girl on her own decided to have an American sperm donor and I think use an American agency because of the information that she got available compared to, I think, what you get from a British agency because there is a difference. I think she got to hear his voice and different things that she found, had decided that were important. Do you, do you find that with people requests from different countries, different things that they want to know about the donor? They often will come to us because it may be one, sometimes uh, say egg donation particularly might be illegal in their own country. But as you were saying, sometimes in other countries or even sometimes other states, the kind of information you can get can be more limited. When you're looking for whether it's egg donor or sperm donor, you do get a lot more information. Particularly egg donor, you get to see pictures of the donors, usually childhood as well as adult pictures, current pictures. There's a lot more information that is offered about donors. So you kind of can get much more of a perspective of who this person is. I know with um, sperm donor, it tends to be still a little bit more limited. You might just see a baby picture or a childhood picture. But that is why a lot of people do come here is because they get to have more information kind of get a better feel for the decision that they're making because it is such a huge decision. And financially, and I do want to talk about the surrogacy side of it because the whole process from a financial point of view I know is different to what happens in, in the United Kingdom because our egg donation is altruistic. Is it in the US still? I know that there's a different financial situation with it all. No, it, it is not altruistic, um, though I think there's always a, an element for these young women where it's a lot to go through without having a heart for the, the, the people that are going to be the mm. recipients of their donation. But they are financially compensated, and there's you know a broad range as to you know what that winds up being. Um, but they are financially compensated. And as far as surrogacy is concerned, with the US being one of the few places where it, it's, it's legal in, in most states, there's quite a bit of misunderstanding about it. The legalities, the cost, there's strict guidelines that have to be followed and it's very I, I've done quite a bit on surrogacy in the UK featured a whole podcast season on the surrogacy UK organization and just found the whole thing fascinating the women who are surrogates are unbelievable and the intended parents and the bond that they have with the surrogates is is amazing to hear and the partners of both the surrogates and the intended parents from the people I spoke to everybody became mates which I loved talk to me a bit about your experience of, of that community and the journey that you see intended parents going on sure and I think you're absolutely right the women who choose to be surrogates are amazing women they have what uh, you know we often I think they often call the, a sisterhood of surrogates because the type of women who are willing to be surrogates they, they just really do tend to have really big hearts they've had you know easy pregnancies easy deliveries they 
enjoy being pregnant and they want to be able to give something back and they want to be able to help someone who hasn't been able to have this experience. And it is very different from egg donation in that it's an interactive relationship. The intended parents and the surrogate, um, they you know meet. The surrogate chooses the, the intended parents just as much as the intended parents mm. you know, choose the surrogate. You know, when, when we're looking for a surrogate, things that we're going to be always looking for are making sure that, you know, she meets ASRM guidelines. And we are a little bit even stricter than the ASRM in terms of you know, ASRM guidelines. So you can have up to, say, you know, three C-sections. We don't want to see more than two, um, partially because we are not physicians. So we can't take a look at her uterus and say, yes, her uterus is you know, still quite hardy and there's no issue. But... Um, but we're looking for women, you know, that other than making eating the checkbox of, you know, health-wise that everything uh, is good, we're also wanting to make sure that they have good communication with the intended parents, that they can have a good relationship, because ideally they're going to be, you know, working very closely together for possibly as much as, you know, a year and a half to two years while they're going through the process of the transfer, the, you know, the pregnancy doesn't always work in the first transfer, so this is why it may take a little bit longer, so that they um, are there and have a good support system for each other. A good support system in terms of, of more on a friend level, not on a, there's usually an agency that's going to take care of any uh, technicalities of distributing uh, fees and that sort of thing, but mm. anyway. So for people listening, and maybe they're at a point where you could well be where the next chapter of their journey is going to go, what would your advice be to start that, that dialogue and, and things to think about when you're going to engage with an organisation like Donor Concierge? I think the things to think about are the fact that we are here as an advocate and liaison for intended parents. You know, we charge something for our services and our fees, but it's sort of a drop in the bucket compared to everything else that you're going to be having to pay for in terms mm-hmm. of, of your financial commitment towards creating your family um, through third-party fertility, egg donor, surrogate, or both. Um but we are here to help it make it a much more um, kind, thoughtful, supportive, um, and a smoother journey for you than you're likely to make um, on your own. Because we've done this so many times. Mm. We're here to be that compassionate uh, helper along the way. Um, we, we only work the intended parents. We don't take any type of... Uh, referral fees from anyone else, um, whether that's agencies or clinics. We're just here to help the intended parents through. Because there are so many things when um, one is finding that this is going to be the best um, you know, path towards creating their family, that the, that the intended parents find that they need some assistance. That what they, they may have thought they knew all the answers to this, and then they come up against something and we can usually get things taken care of much more quickly. You know, there are some examples I could give of, you know, something that happened with one of our clients where something happened in the lab that, that was a, a snafu on the part of the lab. Very good clinic, but every once in a while there are things that happen. But because we have such a depth of experience, we were able to reach out to many other clinics and, and physicians to say, hey, this is what happened without revealing anything you know, to uh, you know, embarrass anyone that was involved. But we were able to get second opinions very, very quickly so that we could say, okay, this is what we've learned. So I think what, you're, what the clinic is telling you, I know you're upset with them right now, but what they're telling you, we're getting verification that, yes, that is a good avenue and everything should still be fine. So there are things that we can do that uh, because we've 
been doing this for such a long time that it just makes life easier. And you're dealing with enough knowing that you have to use, uh, it takes more than two to create your family. Yeah, so that, you're shielding uh, them from additional which, stress, yeah. which I love. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Well, we'll put all the details, Gail, on the on the show notes of what you do, and there's some lovely videos on, on the site as well. And I just think it's fascinating. I think it's obviously such a worthwhile thing that you've created, and the fact that you've been going, what did you say, 12 years now? Have you yes. seen a change in the kind of requests that you get? Have you seen more single women or more same-sex couples? Definitely. I see more single women, more single men, straight okay. men, okay, as well as gay men. Um, yeah. And, of course, more same-sex couples. And mostly we wind up, we sometimes uh, work with, with lesbian couples, but for the most part, they have the eggs and they've got the uterus. But sometimes, you know, it depends on, on the age of the couple. They may or may not be able to use their own eggs. So there are times that we have helped uh, lesbian couples. But certainly when it comes to gay men, um, you know, we've worked with many, many gay couples to help them to create their families. And, and often, you know, they're both wanting to be bio dads and that sort of thing. So we can certainly help them with, you know, all of that. Single straight men, I think, is probably one of the categories that, that sometimes people are surprised. But it's really not that different from, um, you know, single straight women who choose to be, um, or, you know, lesbian women either way, who choose to, um, you know, have children on their own. Just see, sometimes people are surprised. So... Mm. Do you think society's perception has started to improve towards what you do and people needing to have donors and surrogates because it's still stigmatized and people still don't understand and I know from the from the partners of the surrogates that I spoke to when they'd have to explain in the pub that yes their wife was pregnant but it wasn't theirs <laughs> you know the understanding <laughs> of surrogacy is still it's confusing for a lot of people have you have you seen a shift in, in how people talk and view it you know I, I have seen a shift because this sort of thing now has been uh, going on for, for at least egg donation has been going on for at least 30 years certainly sperm donation far longer than that and surrogacy has been able to evolve from traditional surrogacy to um to gestational surrogacy um, for probably at least almost 30 years. So I think that the shifts are happening, but if you're not involved or you know someone who's had fertility issues, it can still seem very strange. And, and I know, you know, I sometimes have conversations with people who are, you know, highly educated individuals, um, and they still are scratching their head and saying to me, so the, the child that the surrogate's carrying, it's not genetically hers, or they'll think that the egg donor is the, you know, the going to be carrying the child. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> so, so it's still, it, it's a slow process, but I think it's shifting. I think people, it's becoming more common, largely because I think, at least to a small degree, people are getting a little bit more comfortable with sharing. Because certainly it happens all the time. Well, and also we now know that modern families aren't necessarily made in the way they used to be. And they don't consist of the same family members as they used to. And the way that the children are are, are brought into this world, as we've been talking about, is, is so varied. Before I let you go, is there one story that kind of stands out when you when you think about the different and many people that you've helped that you you want to share because obviously people are stressed when they're going through this and they're they can become impatient if they can't find a match and you've talked about already being able to find a match and we've talked about managing people's expectations can you think of an example where maybe everybody wondered whether it was ever going to happen and then it did 
or, or a particular favorite example of, of somebody or a couple that you've helped? Thinking way back, and, and this was a big motivator for me to you know do the donor concierge service, but back when there was a time when I had my own egg donor program many years ago, and I was trying to help one of my clients to find um, an egg donor. She had very, very specific ideas about what she was looking for. You know, her heritage was, um, I think, French-Jewish. And, and, she re- and she was tall and slender and, and you know, just had this certain build. And, and she was really looking for someone who you know, kind of had a lot of these qualities. And you know, I searched and searched, and this was just you know, before I had access to many different agencies. And then suddenly there was a girl that came into the program that I was like, oh my gosh, this first person is perfect for the woman I was working with six months ago. <laughs> and so I wound up contacting her and I said, I don't know if you found anyone, but I would like you to see this particular candidate. She was just over the moon. And she did go forward and, and, and have a child and, you know, and we still sort of keep in loose touch. So that's, you know, one of the, you know, things that that's why I do what I do. It you must know, just, be so that's rewarding. That's why all of us do. Yeah. It's extremely rewarding. Yeah. We love getting the pictures. We, you know, it's like whenever we get pictures, you know, everybody's like in tears or we hear that there's a positive pregnancy or, you know, we worked with um, a woman. This is another story. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> but it's, we, it's we worked with this woman and she was just amazing. We loved her. She was, you know, she actually needed everything. Um, well, she started out being actually in a, a relationship. Um, and, but, you know, we, we'd be talking to both of them and, and basically the, the, the male in the relationship was, well, basically kind of a jerk and things that he was wanting were very difficult thing. What she wanted was much more within, you know, reasonable range and they wound up splitting up, which we were all like, yes, you're much better off because he is a jerk. (laughs) We helped her find an egg donor, a sperm donor. And a gestational period because she unfortunately could not carry. And so they did, you know, single embryo transfer, which is what is recommended for healthy reasons um, for everyone. And she wound up having a natural splitting. So she has identical twins who are so adorable. And we are friends on Instagram and Facebook. So I still get, get to see them as they grow. They are so cute. So that's another one where we were just so happy and, and she is so happy and has this amazing life uh, with her twins that we are thrilled for her. So there are a lot of stories and yeah. those are the things that, you know, that's what we, why we do all of this. This is what motivates us. Well, it's, it's brilliant. It's really interesting to hear about. And I thank you for your time and for explaining it so well. And I hope that that's kind of answered some questions because I think it's really, from what I do with this podcast, you know, I try to cover what's available in, in, in different countries because that's the beauty of the podcast that it can reach so far. And I think that when people are at that crossroads and they're not quite sure whether they're brave enough to carry on, because when you've had failed treatment and we talked about it at the start, I know time and time again, people say to me that the clinic support just stops and you're left and you're like, what on earth? How do I get my head around what I ha- what I have to do next? So to know that there's someone like you there to, to hold someone's hand, I think is, is really lovely. Well, and one more thing I'd like to add too, just because there are many times when people come to us who are um, you know, coming from outside of the country and, you know, when we, we help people find clinics as well. It's not something we charge extra for, it's just something we do to help our clients. And it's something that when we're help, trying to help our clients to find a clinic, you know, we base it on you know, on their needs as well as, of course, we want to make sure that they're working with a clinic that has good success rates. 
and that will work for you know whatever their family dynamic is, if they're same-sex couple, if they're married, they're not married, or if they're a single woman. Because sometimes if you're dealing with someone who is a single woman that may need all of the you know the egg donor, sperm donor, and let's say she needs a gestational carrier as well, you know that's something that we always reach out to attorneys to find out what is the best state where our um, client will be seen as the sole parent and that they will not have the difficulty with getting their names on birth certificates or mm. having to adopt their own child or any of those things. Those are things that we take care of. Amazing. And we will find out that information and help them with that part as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Gail. Good luck with everything for the next 12 years. I'm sure we'll be speaking oh, <laughs> again before that. But um, yeah, really amazing to hear what you're doing. And lovely to talk to you. Well, thank you. It was very enjoyable. All right. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. The Fertility Podcast is supported by OvuSense. If you're trying to monitor your cycle and finding it overwhelming, OvuSense is the only ovulation monitor on the market that is a class two medical device. It has a vaginal sensor and app and it fits like a tampon so it's really easy to use and comfortable to wear. You use it at night whilst you sleep and then in the morning you simply remove, wash it and download your data to see your cycle pattern. Now OvuSense has proven comfortable for women in over 10,000 cycles of use and can predict ovulation up to a day in advance and can confirm it with 99% accuracy. To find out more, visit ovisense.com. Thank you, Gail. And the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash concierge. As always, you can email me, natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com. If there's something that's been on your mind that you'd like me to cover, if you want to share your story, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at fertilitypoddy. We've got a Facebook page and we have a closed Facebook group called Talk Fertility. And it's lovely that you do keep signing up. I've asked some of the experts from this podcast to be admins. So it's not just me answering questions or other people in the group. Thank you as always for listening and for your support with this podcast. And until the next time, 